I was on this medical bed and God was on a, a kind of a doctor's chair next to me. And he had this kind of marking instrument in his hands and he was marking my entire body with the world map. You know, in the spirit, in this encounter, he just sat and he marked me and he just kept saying, I'm marking you for nations, Sam. I'm marking you for nations. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. I'm Sam Howes, editor of Premier Christianity magazine that sponsors this show, The Profile, and it's a double bill. We've got two interviews for you coming up this afternoon. First of all, we have Maria Rodriguez in conversation with Sam Robertson from the Glasgow Prophetic Centre. And then later on, we'll have Cara Bentley talking to the Labour Party politician Janet Davey about her life and faith. As always, we do hope you enjoy these conversations and if you'd like more where this came from, why not check out the magazine that sponsors this show and makes it all possible. You can have your first copy free of Premier Christianity magazine, the UK's leading Christian publication. Just go to our website, premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. All right, let's get into the first interview for today. This is Maria Rodriguez speaking to Sam Robertson. Now, Sam, we're here to hear something about your journey, the adventure that God's taken you on. So let's go back to when you were a young boy growing up. What kind of exposure did you have to God and church? Yeah, great question. Um, so I've been born and raised in a Christian family, but my upbringing was very different from what I do now uh, in the church world. I was brought up brethren, uh, cessationist. We didn't believe in the Holy Spirit. There was no grid for spiritual activity for the gifts of the spirit for the holy spirit speaking for healing um, and and so much so that actually my upbringing was um was a place that would shun um the activity of the spirit and so you know like many other people i was brought up in a church where it was god the father jesus the son and the holy scriptures and this this person the holy spirit was an afterthought rather than a reality that was experienced in every aspect of life. And they would, they would, as I say, shun, I guess, a lot of, uh, of what was going on. And as a child, I did experience prophetic or Holy Spirit activity. I just didn't have a grid for it. Um, and so, you know, there would be dreams, there would be visions, senses. I would know when certain things would maybe, uh, were maybe gonna happen. There's a few times where I saw in the kind of with my own eyes things that were going on. Um, but Sunday morning would come and I would be told that what was happening to me was wrong and was bad. So I shut it down, I guess. Um, I, I tried to quieten that aspect of my life. And it wasn't until my early adolescent years, um, 12, 13 years old, really, when my mum and dad made the most courageous decision of their life, I believe, to leave that church as, as amazing was, as it was. I mean, it gave me a rich heritage and foundation in scripture. I mean, memorizing scripture line by line by line, which I'm so thankful for. But they decided to leave that uh, and start with another group of people, a small home church, to explore this person called the Holy Spirit. And then really that was what woke me up to the reality of the Spirit of God working. And my journey... Uh, began or I wouldn't say began it restarted because I had that journey as a child I shut it down so it was reawakened in a sense I suppose I woke up again Mm -hmm. to what was always inside of me and all of a sudden realized that what was happening to me wasn't 
bad. It wasn't from the enemy. It wasn't from Satan. It was from God. And he had good things to say about it. And what a relief that must have been for you. (laughs) Big time, because it stops that wrestling. I mean, as a child, I was thinking, is what is happening from me, not just me making it up, but is it from the enemy? And that obviously kind of threw me into a bit of a wrestle. So to realize um, that it was from God and to see other people who interacted in that world was like, oh, I'm not alone. This is actually meant to be biblically normal. And alongside all of this, what was your experience of school like? Did you enjoy education? Did you have good friends? Yeah, I mean, I love school, um, particularly primary education. I absolutely loved school. I love learning. Um, if you, you can't see behind my screen, but my wall is just plastered with books. Actually, uh, I'm, I am studying theology at the moment, supplementary to my work at Glasgow Prophetic Centre. But my life at school was, was really good. I think, no, in that all, because of, I would say, the rejection that I experienced that was really the result of the the gift that I had and the experiences that I was having, I think there was a false desire for belonging and and, and a false desire or, or, or a pressure to conform myself to another image to try and fit in with the crowd because what was happening to me was so bizarre and so out of the norm that I felt I had to overly pressurize myself to look like act like and sound like everybody else and that I would say that continued uh, until I realized that what was going on was a holy spirit thing uh, and and there were other people that were like me so at school when you were a teenager were any of your peers aware of these sort of unusual experiences of the holy spirit that you'd be having outside of school days um first couple of years definitely not because the first couple of years that was when I was still trying to fit in. So I, I was a typical teenager at that point, pushed open some doors uh, that, that then had to be shut. Uh, and that kind of exploration of belonging, I think every teenager goes through a degree of that. Um, it wasn't anything extreme, but certainly um, in my, my kind of 15, 16, 17, uh, kind of years old age, uh, ages that I was, that was when the Holy Spirit utterly changed my life and it revolutionized every aspect of who uh, I, I was at that time and so I couldn't help but but share and it was met with some interesting with some interesting responses um, and and certainly some people probably rejected me because of that but I would say when I was when I was 14 and 15 I had an encounter just that awoke that, that woke up inside of me this Jesus fascination I was obsessed with Jesus that actually it didn't really bother me so much what was the opinion of of other people. And where did that encounter happen? Was it at home? Was it a conference, event, church? So it was, I would say the encounter wasn't a moment. It was a series of moments that God had just orchestrated. It actually happened uh, the first one in the church that I, uh, that my mum and dad helped to start. uh, And they're still a part of just now a great church just outside of Glasgow. where the, the, this group of prophets walked into the room and they were going to be the speakers for that day. I later uh, now work for that prophet, Emma Stark. It was her organization. Uh, they, were, they had started literally the same year that the church had and she brought her entire team along. That was because of how early. So there's about 20 prophets that came um, and they started to prophesy and say they saw things and felt things and sensed things. And I thought, oh my goodness, there's other people that are like me. And that was the 
ignition point that then pushed me or propelled me into this journey of pursuing Jesus. Um, and really, it happened uh, over a, a couple of months where every uh, so often in the evening hours, past 10 o'clock, past bedtime, the presence of God would just fill my room and God would just start to speak to me. And it, I mean, it was so crazy. I, fi- I filled a notebook with everything that he said and had nowhere else to write what he was saying. So I had white wardrobes, sliding wardrobes. I got Sharpie pens and started to write all over them, much to my mum and dad's dismay. And then the walls as well. I put wallpapers, uh, flip chart paper all over the walls and started to write everything that God was saying to me. And that happened really over a couple of weeks where uh, I, I came to the point where I said, Jesus, I'm going to live entirely, fully, 100% for you, no matter what it takes, no matter what it costs. And that is still the cry of my heart to this day. Well, how incredible. Now, often uh, when people have these kinds of encounters with God, it it changes the trajectory of their life. It changes their decisions about their future. So as far as career aspirations were concerned, did you have any ideas as to what God was calling you to or even what you wanted to do with your future as a young man? I think I always knew that the hand of God was on me and other people were aware that there was something particular uh, that I I was called to do. But the kind of framework of the church that I was raised in was the only options for, um, for those who um, are called into you know, significant life ministry are worship leader, and I cannot sing at all. So that one was gone. Missionary. I didn't really have the passion for that, um, although I appreciated it. And I thought, mm, I tried to make myself fit there. It didn't work. Or church pastor. Um, and again, I thought, hmm. That's not me. And so I did pursue other options. I mean, I left school and went straight into ministry, but certainly at school, I was working towards uh, a medical degree and working towards then uh, training to be a surgeon is what the aim was uh, and the backup plan because of some sort of extreme, because of the extremes of how I, uh, how I am. The other, the other plan would have been to go uh, into some sort of political study as well. But certainly my whole life from a childhood, I wanted to study medicine and I worked, I worked towards that, but God had other ideas. And how did teachers react when they realized that, you know, this uh, promising young man who was on the, on the path to perhaps uh, being a surgeon decided to leave school and go into ministry? Interestingly, to be fair, they, I mean, they tried to convince, they tried to convince me uh, otherwise, but they knew me as someone who was quite headstrong. So they knew that, you know, as, as a teenager, when I got something uh, in my head that I was going to do, I was going to do it. And that was, you know, both right and wrong in my teenage years, but this I was sure. Um, and, and, and I think now, actually, I've, there's quite a lot of teachers from that time who have somehow managed to be reconnected to me in some sort of way. Loads of them not believers. And they're like, you made the right decision, Sam. I mean, I cannot believe what you are doing right now. And I just think, what a full circle moment, which is, which is really great. Yeah, that's really beautiful to hear. And how about your family? How, how were they about you, know, you sort of stepping out in a slightly unusual path? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, were, they, they couldn't be more supportive. I would say, you know, as a child or as a teenager, I obviously was I started to explore the Holy Spirit after that encounter with Emma and her team and my mum and dad would drive me to every event possible for me to get trained for me to encounter the Spirit of God Um, and they have reaped 
what they what they so richly invested uh, and sold in my life as a result. Um, and, and, and much of what I do now is a credit to that sacrifice that they made, um, that, that actually they were going to say, no, we are, going to, we are going to prioritize you getting into the presence of God, Sam. And I mean, they would drive me all over Scotland just so that I could attend events. They would pay for me to do you know, a ministry school before I was even the, the right age to do it. They paid for me to go to events for hotels, paid fuel because they understood the priority of saturating their children in the presence of God. And I cannot even begin to emphasize the impact in my life because even as a teenager, you know, there were moments, there were weak moments um, where I would go to a party or I would be involved in something that, that was out with God's best. And in those moments, because I had so encountered the presence of God, I knew that the presence of God wasn't there. So I knew it wasn't the place that I wanted to be because my mum and dad had taken me there. So they're so supportive um, really can't support me enough. And they're just that safe place. They're my mum and dad, my brother, my sister, where I can be fully Sam, not just the minister, not just the prophet. And that's a real joy to come back to. It's so important to have that safe environment, but also that place where they can tell you things as they are and keep your feet oh, grounded. Sure. <laughs> Completely. So needed. Yeah. And you just mentioned, of course, there, you know, when you were going to sort of some of these parties, you would sense maybe the presence of God wasn't there. So as you've sort of ventured out in ministry, have you found that you've had to be sort of quite intentional about creating boundaries for yourself so you're clear about making sure you're in environments that will fuel what it is God's calling you to and protects you in a sense from anything that's not of God. Yeah a hundred percent but I think that that transcends across all people um, that actually um, it's not just for those who are in ministry although there is a tighter set of boundaries around those in leadership and ministry I think all of us when we fully delight ourselves in the Lord and our desires are fully established in him then we do not have the same level of desire for the other distracting activities that can so often often take us off our path but we've got to be intentional in creating that sort of lifestyle and for me you know a lot of people say oh you've sacrificed a lot to go into ministry. And I understand what they're saying, but I don't have that experience that they are that they are kind of implying behind that question because what they're saying is life must be tough because you've missed out on a lot and your life must not be as good as it could be. But the experience that I have had is yes, there are moments where I where I've went, you know, I wish I could have been normal or I wish I could have done that. But the supreme pleasure of knowing Jesus and following Jesus and denying the other worldly pleasures trumps any other sort of experience that I could have had or have had in the past. And so, yes, it's a sacrifice, but God delights in sacrifice. He delights uh, in that thing, uh, that place of being obedient, of being surrendered. And he always, always, always blesses those who sacrifice uh, to him. And I can say that confidently that when I've sacrificed, uh, you know, in, in friendships and relationships and finances and normal life that God has come and said, I'm going to give you even more, even better than you could ever dream or imagine, which I just think is, is so God. Yeah, it's fantastic. I suppose one of the questions people might have, you were saying people were saying, well, maybe the sacrifices with ministries, people might think, well, you know, Sam, are you able to find, you know, other people your own age to be friends with who are also so on fire for God? Or do you tend to mix with people who are older because they're the ones in ministry? I mean, actually, you know, for the first couple of years, I would say 
most of the people that I mixed with were um, older, but over the last couple of years in particular, there has just been this resurgence or awakening of young adults, of millennials, of uh, those who are my age, between the ages of kind of 18, uh, 18 and, and the mid thirties, uh, who have really been catching something of God, and particularly for me, uh, a resurgence of young prophets, of young prophetic people who are on fire. So the great joy of my life is that, although my ministry began, or although, although my ministry experience began with not that many people around me my age, I am now surrounded by some great people my age that are close comrades, close friends, running mates that sharpen me and I sharpen and are that safe place of belonging and friendship and, and laughter that we all need. Uh, and I'm watching that not just in my life, but across the face of the earth. So many of the people that interact with me online or interact with Glasgow Prophetic Centre online are, are younger and the, the age ranges are getting younger because they, that generation, are really waking up to the reality that God is moving in profound ways. So Sam, I'm intrigued to know how you ended up first preaching. I mean, now we're talking to you, you're clearly a brilliant communicator, but who was it who suddenly noticed, hmm, there's something here, let's give Sam a chance? <laughs> I mean, the first ever time I preached, I, I mean, I, I, I can remember it so distinctly um, that my youth leader just asked me to preach after, uh, uh, well, my, the church that I was brought up in, we used to go, the young people, the teenagers, to Soul Survivor in the summer. And after Soul Survivor, we'd come back and we'd do Soul Survivor Sunday where we'd all share uh, what we learned, what God did, and the funny moments and highlights and encounters. Uh, and someone from the youth would share five, ten minutes um, about about what God imprinted on their heart. And I'd really had this encounter uh, with the father heart of God out of the prodigal son and just the audacious embrace of the father to the prodigal son, you know, that, that there was nothing polite about it or, uh, or, or tidy. He ran, he'd have been sweaty, the father, and just kissed them and embraced them. And it was just this, there's no kind of... Uh, no politeness almost in that it's just raw unfiltered love and really that's what I shared I remember it so distinctly I stuttered my way through it I got my words mixed up I said some silly things but people met Jesus after it and I was I was really confused that's what I remember because I remember coming away going I made no sense there at all but actually God turned up and put something on my voice that I, I honestly didn't expect and it reaped a harvest that I didn't expect. And so that really started a journey. They, uh, that church, you know, they, the, the church that I encountered Jesus and even more just started to welcome me into the world of teaching. But it was really uh, my boss, um, Emma Stark, who called it out and mentored and continues to mentor it in me. I mean, when I was, I would say, being raised up uh, in my previous church, I kind of shared more than anything, just a couple of thoughts. But Emma really raised me up as a teacher and a preacher and a communicator and continues to do that. Um, and so I would say it started then, but really it kind of grew some legs and started to run fast that gift in recent years while I've been working with Emma. And I think just a reminder there of the importance of having those who are mentors, those who are accountable, those who can help us um, become the fullness of who God's called us to be along the path and along the way. Now, earlier on, uh, you talked about how when you were a child, you had quite a lot of sort of, I guess we might describe them as sort of extreme experiences of the mm. presence of God. And then those intensified as time went on. 
And I'm sure some people are thinking, well, I'm curious to know what kind of encounters Sam has had. Could you maybe give an example of one that you've had just to give us a sense of what you're trying to explain to us? Totally. Yeah. I mean, they vary. They vary a lot. I think the encounters uh, that I've had, um, they, they, they differentiate from time to time. But I think I'll go with a recent one just because I think it's relevant for now because I'm a prophet and the, the call of God in my life is, uh, is within that prophetic realm. Um, I think it's important that what I share with you has some implications in the day that we're living in. Um, it was a few weeks ago and I was, uh, God woke me up while I was in my bed. And I was sleeping, it was 1am, and I was really aware that I was looking at the world map uh, just in this encounter. And I was, it wasn't a dream, I was very much awake, which was the bizarre thing because I thought I was sleeping. And I could see uh, this freight train, uh, kind of transport train, zigzagging across the nation. And it was loud and it was deafening, uh, and it was causing there to be... Um, almost a sense of chaos, change, disruption, wherever it went. And I was really aware that I was watching in this encounter the move of God that, that is about to hit the earth. That, that, that There was this move that I was watching and God took me down in this encounter and showed me the side of the train. And the side of the train had its name and the name was Glory Disruption. Glory Disruption. And God started to show me that the immediate response of the citizens of various villages and towns were saying various phrases like we're not we don't have the infrastructure to accommodate this move that is about to hit us we don't have the 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 infrastructure to accommodate this train that's coming and god spoke to me audibly and he said don't accommodate me just surrender don't accommodate me just surrender and then the people responded again and they said but we're just not ready we're not ready for this new move of your spirit god and god replied to that phrase and he said you can never be fully ready for something that is this wildly new. And just as he said that, I prayed, God, I welcome your glory interruption train. And I mixed up my words. Uh, I welcome your glory interruption. Normally God laughs at me. I mix up my words when I get excited. Uh, and normally he laughs, but he was really firm this time. He said, Sam, you cannot mix up your words when it comes to this. Because an interruption is a momentary change, an event after which normal service resumes. A disruption is where I drastically alter something for now and for the future and forevermore. And what I'm about to do in my church and in the nation is a disruption, not an interruption, as I start to pour my glory out across the face of the earth. And so I guess, you know, there's lots of other encounters, but that one being, I think, what I love to share because it's what God is saying right now, that we're on this cusp of this glory disruption move of his spirit, where he's about to disrupt, or he is disrupting our present and our future, our plans, our ideas, where the future that we thought we were going to have, God is now saying, I'm disrupting that, changing that, because I'm about to move in an unprecedented way. And Sam, was that the same encounter where you had the experiences of like, you know, countries appearing on your body? Was that the same thing? No, so that was a different encounter that I can share about um, that, that last year, uh, May last, actually quite recently, I, almost a year ago now, 12 months ago, I was in South Africa ministering uh, and I had the great joy of traveling at that point with uh, Emma and Sarah Jane. Three of us don't get to travel together often. So what we do, it's a real treat. And I was at the front of a worship service. We were all getting ready to prophesy uh, and share. I think Emma was preaching that night. 
and I'm a very demonstrative worshipper. I like movement, but I don't tend to lie flat on my face in worship, not for any reason, then it's just not a normal posture. So when God said to me there, get on your face, I knew that something was about to happen. And so I got down and I lay flat on the floor and immediately I was in this, this room in heaven, this encounter in this room in heaven where it looked very medical is all I can say. And I was on this medical bed and God was on a, a kind of a doctor's chair next to me. And he had this kind of marking instrument in his hands and he was marking my entire body with the world map. And it was like a, a tattoo. That's the only words I've got to describe it. So sorry if it doesn't translate well, but that was what it was like. And my entire body, you know, in the spirit, in this encounter, he just sat and he marked me and he just kept saying, I'm marking you for nations, Sam, I'm marking you for nations. So that goes on for about 20 minutes, um, 25 minutes. I'm not sure I wasn't timing it. And I come back down and I'm in the earth and straight away, Emma is calling myself and Sarah Jane up to prophesy over a few people. We do something called call outs. You know, we pick someone in the, the audience uh, in the congregation and prophesy a personal word over them that God wants to release. And as I'm prophesying, Emma notices that there's all these shapes, these, these red, 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 deep shapes all around the back of my head and back of my neck. And so as I pass the microphone to Sarah Jane, she, um, Emma tells me, go to, go to the bathroom, have a look, take a picture. Uh, and so I look at my neck and I follow the lines and I lift up my, 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 my shirt and roll up my jeans and realize that the entirety of my physical body is marked in these deep red, like raw red marks with the world map. And I took pictures of it. I have pictures of it. Um, and that, that continues to happen and continues to come out of my body uh, on a regular basis, particularly if I'm an encounter or the Lord is speaking about nations. This world map will appear all over my body, all over my legs, it's, it's everywhere, it goes up the back of my neck, it's on my face, on my hands, on my arms, it, it covers my body, and you can see, you know, the United Kingdom's kind of here, so I can work out where everything else is, um, and, and that, that, that encounter really did shake me for quite some time, because I'd never heard of anything like that, nor had I experienced something like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's just incredible. And for some people, that would be really difficult for them to get their heads around. For other people, they'll be they'll be cheering, going, wow, God's on the move. Yeah. It was difficult for me to get my head around. And there was lots of conversations with Emma and David, you know, my spiritual parents and my leaders, like, what on earth has happened to me? You know, I didn't have the grid for this. And just them really being mature leaders and walking me through that process was was exactly what I needed. So I understand. Well, Sam, thank you for sharing your story. I think we could have chatted to you for many hours more and um, hearing about the journey and the adventures God's taken you on. But thank you just for inspiring us and just encouraging us that there are young people today rising up who are on fire for God. And we certainly pray for all the plans that God has for your future that they will come to pass. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Marie. It's been my absolute pleasure to be with you. This month, Premier Christianity magazine asks, what really matters to you? Read about one of the biggest issues of today as we address Black Lives Matter head-on. Understand the church's response to racism, how we get it wrong, where we get it right, and why there's no excuse for apathy. Immerse yourself in powerful Black Lives Matter features, plus stories of lockdown, interviews, and current affairs. Available in print and online at premierchristianity.com. The Profile. 
You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to The Profile on Premier Christian Radio. This show is brought to you in association with Premier Christianity magazine. For a free sample copy of the latest issue featuring more interviews like this one, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. I'm Cara Bentley and I cover politics at Premier Christian Radio and this week I've been speaking to Janet Davey. She is the Labour MP for Lewisham East and recently became the Shadow Faiths Minister. She told me how she became a Christian after an event of a famous evangelist, how she led the Christian Union at university and how she tries to maintain her faith today amidst everything else in her life. I hope you enjoy it. So you've got the kind of politics part of your life, the fact that you're a Shadow Minister but you've also got faith in that role how important is your faith to you was that a part of your upbringing or did it come later in life so um faith wasn't really part of my part of my upbringing uh to, to be really honest with you uh, my mum occasionally went to church uh, like most people go to church at funerals weddings and christenings so no faith wasn't um i can't I couldn't say i was brought up in a christian home but a, a family that believed in uh, that believed in god i would say but not where we ever had like a uh, meaningful deep meaningful conversations or any, anything like that so how did i uh, become a christian so i suppose it was my sister's first interest in christianity that um made me think about christianity and she would go to a, a local church and every now and again i'd go with her and then every now and again my mum would go to church as well and uh, i would go with her but nothing where they were i would say they were were committed to christianity in any way and i remember on one occasion my mum taking me to this church all right and uh, and uh, when my mum went to church she'd put a hat on and she'd take out her jewelry i hope she doesn't mind me saying this <laughs> And she'd put, uh, she'd not wear any lipstick, you know, and I'm thinking, what's going on? You know, what's she doing? And, uh, and I'd go to church with my little earrings and my trousers. And I mean, this is like a really traditional type of church, all right? And, uh, and, uh, and, and when the, the, the um, pastor or vicar or bishop was uh, speaking from the front, I felt as if he was looking at me and he was telling me that I was a dirty, rotten sinner. And I was thinking, oh, this isn't very nice, is it? What, what, this isn't very pleasant. And I was thinking, look at my mum. She's the one who's taken <laughs> But, I mean, my mum's since, uh, since uh, given her life to Jesus and she loves God and everything else. And she's a lovely Christian woman. Just to get that all on record, she is <laughs> indeed. Um, so, actually, I felt really uncomfortable. Uh, and, uh, and that made me feel really uncomfortable about church uh, for, for a little while, I, I would say. Um, but then the church that, that my, I went to, where my, my sister went to, was just really quite pleasant. There was lots of young people there. But that's not really what made me change my uh, thinking. There was a, um, a Louis Palau mission <clears throat> in Blackheath. And there was this great big tent. And there were loads of people that went to this, um, to the, to this, uh, this, this event. And I went along. Uh, and they gave out these booklets afterwards. And it was this booklet that I went home and read, actually. It was very simple, wasn't it? complicated in any way and it was this booklet that said you know that Jesus is the son of God and that he um and that God sent him to help heal the damage and the pain that's in society and if we say sorry to him then all our sins are forgiven you know everything we've done bad and wrong and I was thinking I haven't really done that many things that are bad and wrong so I was just considered well I don't have much to lose have I if this this document saying that I'm going to get eternal life 
and this document saying that um, I can, Jesus can help me through my life to improve my life and to fulfill the plan and the purpose that he has for me, then I just thought, I'll wait up. I'm no practical and <laughs> person. I just thought actually this, this, this doesn't seem so bad and, and it was genuine. So that, it was at that point that I, I prayed and said, God, okay, you know, come and direct me, lead me, guide me, be my support in life, help me to fulfill the plan, the destiny, the purpose you have for me, help me to, um, to, to be everything you've made me to be. And that was really when I, I first uh, uh, gave my life to Jesus and I was uh, only 15 years old. Did you join a church after that, a different church? So I went looking for a church and I ended up going to my sister's church the um, sixth form uh, teacher was the leader of my church, of my secondary school, and there were loads of ex-students at that church, and we were quite a young church. There were loads of people in their teenage years, 20s and 30s, although I was the youngest teenager with another friend of mine. And so we were just mates together, and we went to the same school as well. Uh, and then we joined, we linked up with a Baptist church, and every year we went uh, to the Norfolk Broads and we went sailing there's about six boats and it was just some of the best years of my teenage life I loved it uh, and it was just great fun and and I still love being a Christian uh, I don't get to go as, to many things as much as I used to <laughs> but that's more to do with uh, um, practicality and, and my role at the moment and what type of church was that and and is that the same kind so, of denomination you would go to now <clears throat> so it was a it was a evangelical alliance church a uh, house church it used to rent out uh, the boys brigade hall in blackheath i think it still does and it's still there and uh, mike leader i think believe he's still the the leader of the church and it's it's a great church i'd recommend it to anybody not that i'm plugging it uh, it's very much a family church now my understanding um but it was, yeah, it was a great church, Charlton and Blackheath Christian Fellowship. And uh, when I went off to university, I decided that um, I didn't want to go to a small church because I, I did a lot of work in that small church and I had loads of responsibility, uh, which I loved at the time. But I just thought I wanted something a little bit different now when I go. And I thought maybe I can just hide away at a big church for a little while and not have much to do. <laughs> that sounds absolutely awful, right? Uh, but then when I got to university, the Christian Union needed some help. And uh, all of my friends were part of the student union. I think I, I lived in a block where I had like uh, the vice president was there, the um, uh, campaigns were, and the entertainment person were all around me. So naturally I thought I was going to become a student union person, but I did. But I ended up becoming the president of the Christian Union. So I'm not actually one of those people that can sit back and not do much when uh, help's needed. And I think that's just part of who I am. And, um, and I, enjoy, I thoroughly enjoyed it, thoroughly enjoyed it. But in the evening, the SU would end up in my room and uh, um, we had a great time. It was fun. It was great. But to the point, sometimes I had to put, a, a, I'm not in sign, even though I was in. <laughs> just so that I have a bit. <laughs> It was space and time to myself, but um, I, I, I loved my university days. Where I did you go? Some of the best. Well, I went to Newlands Park, which is part of um, Brunel University. So it was a campus space, but there was like 350 young people on campus, and uh, oh, which is fantastic. Loved it. But the Christian Union, yeah, I helped build it. I helped make it more functional. We went away for loads of weekends. We joined up with uh, other Christian unions. And um, and uh, and it was great. 
Great, it's good fun. And lots of people that was when they kind of entered um, politics for the first time, but you were kind of doing a more <laughs> leadership kind of spiritual thing at that point. Not sort of. Well, I'd had a leadership role in my in my smaller church when I was seventeen. They asked me to lead the ladies' prayer meeting, and uh, uh, there was two ladies' prayer meetings, and I, I remember sort of uh, being a bit shocked and a bit scared really because I was quite young my church was predominantly white as well that I went to in Blackheath there's only two three black people there myself included and um so I, I sort of like thought oh my goodness why has he done that why has he made me the leader of this prayer group why, why do I want to do that I was thinking and then I got quite a bit of opposition actually in the church from a few women and uh, but it never got to me everybody defended me before it got to me and then because these people had stood up for me, I just thought, oh, I'll probably have to see this through now. <laughs> Which, uh, and it was great. I had great support and it worked really well. And was yeah. the opposition and because of your age or because you're black? I, I think it's probably both. I think, it's, uh, I think it was rooted in the level of jealousy. I think it was both because I was young and because I was black. And well done for, for making note of those two points. I, I think it was, it was absolutely both. And I recognised it. And one lady in particular, I thought, was uh, she confirmed to me that she was probably prejudiced. And she was one of those that came up to me and, and a couple of years later and said, oh, you know, Janet, well, I'm not prejudiced in this church or anything like that. And I'd never even spoken to her about it. So... The, the fact that she'd raised it was interesting anyway mm. but anyway you know uh, I didn't really need to to do anything apart from lead and I led well but um I believe that when you lead though you you bring people up with you you take people with you on your journey and I think the best leaders are when you recognize the leadership skills in others as well as yourself but so sometimes you did, yeah. to, to not allow people to forget you're still the main leader though <laughs> <laughs> of course not <laughs> So you did Christian Uni University. Were you interested in politics at that stage? Um, I can't say. Oh, no, of course I can say. I, I did GCSE politics. So when I, I, I'm one of these people where um, I don't like it where I don't know something, you know. So um, I like to find out about things. I like to be aware of what's going on in, around me. And I realised I didn't know much about politics. And there was no, there was, you know, I didn't really come from a, a political family or anybody that's involved in politics, apart from one uncle that's since passed away. Uh, and he would always, my late uncle Selvin would always talk about politics. So I was always just having these conversations with him whenever I went to meet with him. But so no, I studied government and politics because um, I just wanted to find out more about what it was about. So I, I studied the American system as well as the UK system and how law uh, legislation turned into law. So yes, so I, I did, did study it there. Was I actually involved in politics over in the Christian Union? No. no. What was your uncle's stance? Did you have arguments or did he teach you? Um, I, I, think, I, I don't think he um, purposefully taught me, but I think in terms of his opinions uh, about what was happening, then it meant that I could engage with him on those opinions. And as a, um, as a, a black person, I was very aware of racism and we'd experienced a lot of racism and discrimination as a, as a, as a family. Uh, overt racism so I think when you grow up experiencing racism then it makes you politically aware you can't not be and then I remember another late uncle uh, 
he used to, I don't know how the conversation came about, but I remember him telling me that he was stopped under this, the SUS laws, which is around the stop and search, but he was stopped, traffic stop. And he said he was always being stopped and he was just a painter and decorator working for the council, but he was always stopped by the police. And he said, oh, I'm just really polite. And, and then I go on my way. But it was like a, a, a general awareness and knowledge that <clears throat> black people get treated differently. Uh, unacceptable entirely but so there was always this deep-rooted injustice in, inside of me for wanting to fight injustice and wanting to help people and communities and I think that's what led me to go into social work I think had I known about the roots to politics earlier I think I would have taken a, a different route a lot earlier but for me being uh, going into social work was a way of empowering enabling and helping families that needed uh, needed support yeah, until I found my way into politics. So I think yeah, I was always yeah. destined for politics. It was just how I was to, you know, it was my journey to get there, so to speak. Yeah, you learnt things on the way via other routes. Yeah, and, and it was, it was, it, it was it, uh, an invaluable experience being a social worker. I think it, it, helps, uh, it helps my politics uh, uh, extremely well. And were your uncles Labour supporters or were your family? Uh, all Labour, all Labour. Everybody was Labour, yeah, mm. yeah. Everybody around me was Labour. So there's no uh, question where you were going to end up. Yeah, apart from one friend whose parents were Tory. And I remember having this conversation with her, and I feel sorry for her really now. But um, I remember this conversation with her and she said she'd probably vote Tory because her parents voted Tory. And I explained to her all the reasons why she shouldn't be voting Tory. But I think maybe I should have done it a bit more gentle in a more gentle way <laughs> to bring her around, you know. <laughs> but I think I couldn't believe it. Why are you voting Tory? How does that make any sense? You know? and, uh, and, and it was, it, it, uh, I'm not sure how she votes now. <laughs> <laughs> Different techniques now. Yeah, yeah, and and I was young, you know. When you're young, you um, you you're very forthright sometimes in 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 more so. But there's times for being forthright and times for not. But as a friend, you know, it's about bringing people alongside you, not um, getting their backs up. And since you've become an MP, how easy or difficult has it been to maintain a faith? Things like going to church or attending midweek groups, is that more difficult? Um. Yeah, obviously, I don't have that. I don't have the time to um, to attend uh, all of these meetings. And I think when people are living a, a busy and active active lives like my, life like myself, then actually it it will affect how much time you can attend church. But I don't. I don't. Uh, you know, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but I don't perceive that as being the most important thing to do in terms of attending services. I think it's right to attend a service, but I think for me the most important thing is relationship uh, with God and relationship with others. And, uh, you know, the Bible speaks about our feet being uh, on a rock and not on sand. And I think as long as our our, um, our uh, confidence and our security is in God, then you stay on that rock. Um, but at the same time, it, you do need to, yeah, you just need to keep up that relationship with God really as, as being most important. Do, do I miss it? Um, yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. But and then, how do you keep up the personal side? What, uh, what my relationship with God? Yeah. Well, I'd like to say I'd read, I, I read my Bible more than I do, but I don't read it as much as I, I would like to say I do. Uh, and that's because I have so many things to read, but, um, but I do, uh, I do read it. I do try and read something every morning, and I do try and read something, even if just something really small, uh, uh, every night. And um, 
and but I'm always talking to God. I talk to God all the time. It's like having a, a, a confident with me all the time. And I may just say, oh, God, help me with this situation or I'll help unravel this or give me some direction or help Josh, you know, find the answers to this or <laughs> whatever it may be. It's like, a, it's, it's like God is my uh, closest friend and, uh, and, uh, and I will always be having a conversation with him. Whether some people perceive that as talking to themselves, I don't. I see it as talking to a, a greater being that has all the answers that we don't. And somebody who cares tremendously uh, about the world more than we could ever. And somebody who um, believes in us to do our best. So for me, uh, you know, where would I be without God? My life would be very different without God. So my life is everything with God and he means everything to me. And now... God has taken a more uh, prevalent role in your day-to-day life in the shadow faith minister role. Tell us a bit about what that role involves, encompasses, and and how it's been so far and and also how it's changed in the short time you've been there. So, I mean, although I've spoken a lot about Christianity, I do very much respect every faith and I very much respect uh, everybody's views and beliefs, whatever they may be, whether they have faith or no faith. I'm very much somebody who... uh, who believes that um, that we need to respect people's views and respect their respect their rights? So when I was asked to be the shadow minister for faith, I was uh, I was delighted to to be asked because uh, faith is a, an area that um, it feels relatively easy to me in terms of being able to to understand it and work in in that area. When I was the cabinet minister, cap, sorry, cabinet member for community safety, when I was a local councillor. Um, I was very much involved uh, and part of the interfaith walk of peace uh, that takes place annually in the in the borough of Lewisham, although it hasn't been able to take place uh, this year. Um, and that was very much about bringing uh, the major faith groups together. And I've built excellent relationships with different uh, faith groups in the um, uh, in the in the borough. So for me, it's um, it's a uh, it's had its challenges is in that there's so many different faith groups and there's so many different beliefs and being able to reach out to them and to have, um, and to have uh, round table meetings or zoom conversations or one-to-one conversations with different faith groups uh, has been a, a challenge, but a delightful one in saying that. And there are different challenges that affect uh, different Uh, faith organizations but because of the coronavirus and the pandemic that we're experiencing there are a lot of similarities as well so there are some issues that I'm picking up that actually is meaningful to to many faith organizations but what I also find which is is quite lovely is that there's a really lovely commitment for um, different faiths to work with each other and to build uh, significant relationships and I also think that sometimes we underestimate how much faith is involved in people's lives and I think when you start speaking to people on one-to-one you realize that their faith is tremendously important to them and that there is a level of intimacy there that that sometimes we don't always acknowledge and appreciate and and respect. Mm. And churches and places of worship and and the stage at which they were they will reopen has been a big topic of discussion in the last few months how well do you think the government have handled places of worship at this time and what do you hope will be the next stage for churches 
I think the government, uh, when they first came out with uh, this uh, announcement of um, opening up places of worship for individual prayer, <clears throat> I think it was extremely confusing to people. The, um, the guidelines only came out the, the weekend before. They'd muddled the dates up at, at one point, saying that it was gonna, uh, this was going to start two days earlier on Saturday instead of the Monday. So I think it's been um, uh, really unhelpful to many places of worship and, uh, and leaders uh, across our country because not all um, at that time, not all um, places of worship can open for individual prayer. And, the, and also the, um, the structures weren't in place that needed to be in place in terms of the, the, um, the PPE, uh, people <clears throat> carrying out the duties that need to be done. And in many um, places of, of worship, it's older people that uh, are relied upon to keep the church buildings or to keep the faith organisations, buildings and premises uh, together. And uh, it, the government didn't seem to be taken on board the practicalities of this for different uh, places of worship. And there are also, you know, some places where they don't actually have their own buildings where they even rent. So there was this type of fake false information uh, that went out there that wasn't applicable to a lot of places, uh, places of worship. And it then gave a false sense to people that they could then go and into the, the place of worship and then do have the individual prayer. And also individual prayer works for some, uh, but not for, for others. So for some communities, the, the buildings are not set up for this. And then for other you know, uh, communities, it is. So there was this sense of not being able to relate to the diverse uh, faith groups. So for example, it would work with the, the Catholic uh, buildings and it would work with Church of England, but it wouldn't necessarily work for the, wouldn't work for the Jewish community, Muslim communities, and lots of other small, uh, uh, small faith organisations as well. And then for others, where it's maybe a, a, a Sikh temple, um, it, it may work. And then the changes to um, have up to 30 people in a, in a building caused another level of um, concern for many uh, places, uh, places of worship. And that's because they've all got the, these different views on how this could and couldn't and doesn't work. Uh, so it's almost like the, the, maybe the government's having uh, round tables, but how diverse those round table discussions are and how much in depth they are and how much they're paying attention to what faith leaders need is, is very much an, another thing. So it's caused a lot of confusion and controversy, really, uh, for many. I think there's this sense from what I'm hearing is that many places of worship would one, like to be trusted a bit more, and would two, need financial support because actually a lot of places of, of uh, faith haven't received their usual weekly contributions and donations. Um, and for many places where they do have buildings, they've lost finances because they haven't been, been able to hire out their premises because the weddings aren't taking place, you know, the parties and so on. So there's a lot of financial loss there. So I think that I believe that what well, I know that um, faith leaders would like to have a conversation about, you know, any financial support that's open to them. And also, as I've said, more in-depth conversation as to what it will look like for um, reopening places of worship. And in terms of other issues, um, you know, that aren't coronavirus related, what other topics um, for faith communities do you want to be bringing up in your time in this role? 
Um, in, in my role uh, currently, I've, um, when I've been having loads of meetings and discussions, it's very, very much been about, um, as you've said, uh, to do with the pandemic, but also what happens after the pandemic, you know, uh, I hope there will be a, you know, as we come out of the, the pandemic. And uh, so I'm very much been a, a, a minister, a shadow minister that's been listening to the different faith communities about what they'd like to see and what uh, uh, changes and, and help they need or how they'd like to communicate with me and how they'd like to communicate with the government. So some of that is still is still happening. Some of that is still coming together. I think some of this will be changing and, and ongoing. I think the main thing really is that um, uh, faith leaders want to feel like they are respected, like they have a voice around the table, and that they're taken they're taken seriously. In this role, it very much touches on so many average departments within government so the foreign department is a big issue because a lot of different faiths uh, there are sometimes issues that are taking place overseas as well that's very significant there's also the, um, the persecution of Christians that takes place overseas so some of this is very much connected with <coughs> um, those issues there's other issues to do with the the EU as well and the, the trade bills and how different foods and uh, uh, are going to affect uh, different faith communities that's that's an ongoing um, issue and, and concern and one of the major things to do with um, faith groups is their involvement with preventing poverty they've been very significant in food banks and uh, helping people that are, are vulnerable um, or even need like food deliveries so this this will be an area that will continue to to be spoken about because uh yeah, as we move into a recession, are these are these uh, churches and communities that are supporting the churches? Are they going to struggle with still being able to prevent poverty in the way that they are? The other issues to do with local government and their finances, and if the government is going to remain true to giving the financial support uh, to local authorities where it's needed, and everything suggests they're not, and that doesn't surprise me at all. But faith groups often prop up local government by offering loads of alternative uh, community arrangements, whether that's about supporting uh, the, uh, the older people, where it's supporting people with mental health, uh, families, you know, play groups, for, uh, toddler groups for children. These are all really great and, and significant things that, that need to continue. So those, those are uh, many areas that I've already mentioned to you. Yeah. Oh, finally, how can we be praying for you and, and your role and, and your faith and anything else, your family life as well, maybe? No, thank you for that. I, I do very much appreciate that. I suppose wisdom would be the first thing, just to pray that, we, you know, that I make the right decisions. If I'm making decisions, I speak to the right people. And, uh, and just pray that I'm able to um, make sure that the right questions are asked to the government so that the, 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 you know, so the government uh, critically evaluate their stance and make the right decisions. And I, I would always appreciate prayer for my family and, and protection, really. That would be really helpful. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was Janet Davey, Labour's Shadow Minister for Faiths. Now, Janet did actually ask the government about extra funding for churches after our interview, and the government said that churches had access to other funds made available to charities from the Chancellor, and you can look them up at gov.uk or via the National Lottery website. 
Thank you for listening to The Profile today. This show is sponsored by Premier Christianity magazine, the UK's leading Christian magazine. For a free sample copy, visit premierchristianity.com. That's all we've got time for this week, though. See you next time.